And welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm George Norrie. Stefan Sindoni back with me, was with me about three years ago as we talked about parts of the hollow earth. He's a researcher. Early age, he was a little boy. He was an avid reader, spent a lot of time learning about American history, ancient civilizations, Greek mythology. And in order to uncover some of these ancient truths, he came to the realization that, you know what? He was an old soul living in a new embodiment. And here he is back on Coast to Coast, the newer version, Stefan Sindoni. Hey, Steph, how are you? Pretty good, George. Thanks for having me on, George. My pleasure. You know what? This story of the hollow earth is amazing. So many people are interested in this. Over the last several years, you've, you haven't let go of this story. What have you been doing? Well, the reason I haven't let go of it, George, is because it became personal. After uh, reading the story and becoming... Uh, enthralled by it and basically i'll just start off it's uh, a man who shows up in the office of the stockton editor's office in 1934 and claims to have discovered an ancient civilization 30 years earlier in 1904 while employed as a geologist for the lord cowjay mining company of england so after reading this story in this emily a frank book i just felt unexplainably attracted to it jotted down seven clues as i recall from the legend and decided to research the legend and try to solve it. But in the process of that, George, I was able to acquire uh, uh, photos of the man of the legend and handwriting samples, and lo and behold, it was like looking at a bookend, and there I was. And then when I matched up my signature to his, it was identical. Are you saying that you're the reincarnated version of this guy? No doubt about it, absolutely. Other people beginning to agree with you? Well, anybody who sees the photo, uh, I morph. I had in the studio. We did a morph uh, with the photo that I had, and myself in the same position, the same angle. And we we drop the photo down. Everything lines up completely, uh, and uh, we're the same height, same build. Uh, <laughs> we have the same mouth, the same same posturing. And uh, when I got his border crossings coming through Laredo. I decided I was in the library at the time, and I'm there in front of the librarian. I'm looking at it. And I said, you know, just for the heck of it, let me just look at it once and then quickly just try to sign it just the way that I saw it the first time. I turned, you know, on, on the back of the piece of paper, and I, and I when I did that, I put them up side by side, and there it was, uh, probably 98% uh, similar, and I was like, holy Toledo. The guy's name was John Benjamin Body, but they called him J.C. Brown, right? That is correct, w- yes. What do we know about him? Well, what we know is that uh, he shows up in 1934, uh, and he tells a representative of the Stockton Record that while he was employed for the Lord Cowjay Mining Company of England uh, in uh, 30 years earlier, in 1904, that he came across a... Uh, an unusual rock basalt formation, and upon discovering it, he decided to dig it out. And after he started digging it out, three miles from the mouth of the tunnel, uh, he found uh, that there was gold-bearing ore that he believed was uh, mined from an earlier race. Kept going, said the air was bad there, and he he went approximately 11 miles inside the mountain, and at approximately a 2,300 feet level below the surface, he struck what he called the village. So he comes into a village where he says he found rooms uh, with 12 feet, uh, with 12, 12 feet uh, copper tablets. Uh, they were three or four inches in concave. They were laid inside one another. Rooms were filled full of plates inscribed neatly. He found rooms with uh, weapons, tempered gold spears. And what really blew him away was that 
the streets were laid out in a village, and in one room, what he found was skeletons that were anywhere from six point uh, six six feet six inches tall, up to ten feet or more. Another room, he found uh, an embalmed what he believed was a king and queen in robes, royal robes that we believe were the king and queen of that race. So, he also found worship rooms. Uh, on the wall, he found three giant crosses, uh, not of the conventional modern type. He found a sun streamer worked in gold and, and copper. He said that uh, he believed there were 13 statues that were made of gold and copper. And he said that he believed that this race was a, a people that were an important, important link in American history because they were highly skilled craftsmen. And they, the statues glowed as if they would use radium to, to make these statues. So he believed that they use radium to temper the copper. Now, this was back in 1904 when he made his discovery. So what he told the editor of the newspaper is that he wanted to enlist a corps of trained people who would pay for their services to assist him in cataloging these specimens and the relics in his cave he wanted to remain intact. So there were two other caves there that he had located, and for those who would go with him up back to the Cascade Mountain Range area, he would then let them have the items in those two other caves. How big underground was this? Well, he he claimed that it was a village that he ran into, so it was like a little mini little town there that he uh, encountered. Huh. And what happened to the occupants, the inhabitants? Well, when he said when he got there, he said everything was like thrown about as if someone had just left because you know he had been approaching because he had been approaching with his minor paraphernalia. So they must have been clanging and banging along the way to get there, but he said that people left in a hurry uh, when he uh, made his approach. Where'd they go? Excuse me? Where would they go? Where would they go? Probably further in. You know, it's like um, just down the road, possibly. (laughs) Did they dig this out, or was this part part of the hollow earth? This was dug out. It was uh, man-made, and it was lit up inside of this, this... this tunnel system that went for 11 miles down to where he found the village. So it was a man-made tunnel that was uh, constructed, you know, for these people to get to this uh, village. Huge. What would possess, Stefan, people to live underground like that? Well, what would possess them is we have two things in history. We had the, uh, the, uh, the Ice Age and we had the Great Flood, which all the, uh, religions talk about, and every culture has their own version of these two, uh, uh, you know, disastrous events. So these two events is what prompted people to go, you know, uh, into a shelter mode. What a remarkable story. Has anybody since been able to go down there or find this? Well, there there are entrances that, uh, there are a number of entrances that lead to this, uh, this village or this city there, but a lot of them, uh, because of the uh, the, the glacier runoff from the mountain, the silt, and uh, just uh, the, the rocks falling uh, have been sealed off and are very hazardous to try to venture further. So you'd be kind of risking your life uh, to kind of try to go through these old caves or tunnel uh, passageways that uh, that existed. Now, in your particular case, Stefan, where you believe you're the reincarnated version of this guy, have you had strange dreams or anything like that that well, would tie you into this area, this region? Well, interestingly enough, when I first discovered uh, that J.C. Brown was not uh, J.C. Brown, he was John Benjamin Body, and I got his photo, 
I was sitting there one day in my apartment, so I went to, into a meditative state, and I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a psychic clairvoyant, and I, I pick things up. So I had the photo, and I put it up to my third eye, and I just looked at the photo. I said, "Tell me how this happened," you know. And then I got that I had to follow uh, border crossings, and I got that they 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 came into the United States uh, and went on the the Southern Pacific Railroad, making their way up to Dunsmuir, California. And they even showed me the route. And in my mind's eye, I saw the train cars, the old train cars that that he was sitting in with other gentlemen. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so what does this mean? So I was able to, to go and get some maps, old railroad maps and whatever. And what I was able to learn was that they went to the, the Shasta Springs Resort in Dunsmuir, California, to go there to, to vacation. These, these guys were millionaires, and they went there. And uh, when uh, they were on the grounds there, they walking around the grounds, they saw this unusual basalt rock formation. And being they were all geologists, they decided that they were going to dig this out. So going through the border crossings, I was able to tie in John Benjamin Body with Lord Cowdray, who was really born Sir Wheatman Pearson, and he was knighted in 1915. But on the border crossings, just as the legend said 1904, there I had John Benjamin Body and Lord Cowdery coming in from Laredo, Texas, into the United States. So I was able to place them into the United States. And huh. as I looked more into the border crossings, George, I got to, to see more of how this happened. Have you had uh, past life regression uh, hypnosis? Yes, I've had it once. And did, did that amount to anything? Yes, it did. It came up with a number of other existences that I've had. and But this one is the strongest where I have supporting evidence to back it up. That is something else. When did J.C. Brown die? J.C. Brown died on, in May of 1940. 1940. Of natural causes or something? Of natural happened? causes, yes, in Scotland. Well, that's that's one good thing. And I, I reappeared here in this embodiment in 53. So 13 years later, I just came back out. And here you are. And here I am. Yes. Obsessed with this story, aren't you? Well, here's the thing, George. My um, John Benjamin's daughter, who survived him when he passed in 40, her name was Millicent uh, Body. My mother's name is Millicent. Oh, boy. So huh. I'm like, what are the odds that my mother... And the daughter that I may have had, you know, named in, in the previous embodiment had the same name. Plus, my mom is of Scottish and English Jeez. ancestry, just like the man of the legend. I said to myself, is the universe playing tricks with me or have a sense of humor? I wonder. All right, stay with us, Stefan. We're going to come back, talk more about this, and then we'll get into the hollow earth with phone calls as well next hour on Coast to Coast AM. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. Stefan Sindoni with us. So don't. By the way, his websites are all linked up for you at coasttocoastam.com. Well, what a great discovery, Stefan, that this region out there, 11 miles in, and then a, a big city. What do you think the population down there might have been? Well, interestingly enough, uh, through my travels going out there, I learned that there's a crystalline city that that is underneath the bowels of that mountain, which supposedly has over a million and a half people living there. Right now? Right now, as we speak. How, what's their technology like? Uh, far advanced than we have. Some people have always theorized that UFOs that are seen coming out of the hollow-type Earth might be those people, that that's their technology. Possible? 
Well, I can tell you that uh, in 2009, I was on the mountain, came down, and when I got back into the town, I saw a fleet of uh, ships leaving the mountain heading east, and uh, there was a lenticular cloud, and it opened up, and a friend of mine was both looking up, and they powered down with their lights to let me know that I was seeing what I was seeing. Uh, maybe they even knew I was on the mountain that night, but they made themselves visible. It was a uh, fleet of at least 20 ships that I, I saw that night. And uh, how were they shaped? Uh, they were uh, like uh, saucers. These were like saucers. They weren't cylindrical. These were saucer in nature. These were small little ships. And the occupants, do they look like us? Uh, well, uh, underneath the mountain they do. I mean, there is a number of different races that are in, in, the, uh, in the inner earth. Uh, Telosians look like, look like us, but they're taller. They're about seven feet or a little, a little taller. Yes. Uh, the Telosians, people from Telos. And... What kind of beings are they? I mean, are they benevolent? Yeah, they're they're, they're benevolent. Yeah, they're they're not um, malevolent whatsoever. They're friendly beings. They just don't want anything to do with the our civilization. They feel that we're barbaric and we just uh, they may be right. Well, they are right. I mean, we haven't evolved enough in two thousand years to love thy brother. So you know, uh, you know, God help us. You know, and so you know that's probably what part of it is. They would like to interact with us, but we're just not ready. Do they ever get hit by earthquakes? I'm sure they do. That's why they're living uh, underneath the uh, the hollows of the earth. But when you go down at least a mile, mile and a half, you know it's uh, you know you're not dealing with the same sort of gravity that we deal with here on the surface. Well, that's true, and they don't have that kind of tectonic plate movement either. Right. Yes. So, uh, huh. you know, uh, I know you're interested in Native American stories. So, if you'd like, I like to cut to the chase and give you something that most people aren't aware of who are who aren't Native American. Fire away, that. Steph. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, when I did this research in 2007 and early 2008, I decided to to make my way up uh, to the Pacific Northwest and primarily to start with Mount Rainier and work my way down because of the. Kenneth Arnold's stories about seeing uh, crafts above Mount mm-hmm. Rainier. So I went up, and I had friends who were up in uh, the Olympia, Washington area. So I went up to Olympia, Washington, and as I got there, the phone rang, and I just had put my, my luggage down, and there was a Native American elder from the Piala tribe and said to my friend, is he there yet? She says, Stefan? She says, yeah, he's right here. She says, can you put him on the phone? So she says, I'm not going to use his name. You know, we'll say John wants to talk to you. So I, I grabbed the phone perplexedly, you know, who could know that I'm here? And it turns out, he says, uh, I'm coming over to talk to you. So now I looked at my friend and says, how does he know I'm here? She goes, I have no idea. I said, who is he? She says, he's a Native American elder. He's a shaman. He's one of the chiefs in the tribe. He, uh, he danced Sundance for 16 years out in the Arizona desert, and he's a shaman. So I, I waited, you know, uh, for the man to come over, and when he came over, First thing he did when he saw me was, he said to me, do you realize that Jesus and St. Germain are standing beside you? So now the hair on my neck, George, is raised because, you know, I know who Jesus was, but I never heard the name St. Germain. Huh. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is heavy. You know, I, I didn't expect this today, you know, not my wildest imagination. So he says, can we take a walk? So I said, sure, fine. So we walked around the property. And he said, I'm supposed to tell you about the, the history of our people. You know, that's what I came here to tell you. So he told me about an oral history that spanned over 40,000 years that Jeez. predated the, uh, the Bering Strait story. And he said that, you know, his people had come to Earth from a distant planet in another solar system. 
and they were taken underground by the ant people, and they had been there in the Ice Age, and they, they came out, and then uh, they went back in and, you know, because of the, the Great Flood, and then they came back, back out again. So I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is interesting stuff. So I asked more and more questions of him, and I asked him because I was interested in uh, Lemurians and uh, the tall ones, and uh, so he told me, he said that he was very familiar with them, and they stood eight to nine feet tall, and they wore buckskin clothing, and his grandfather would see them fishing in the Nisqually River. And the Nisqually River comes down from Mount Rainier uh, through uh, Tacoma, Washington, where their reservation was. He says his uh, grandma, his grandmother would also uh, feed Bigfoot when, uh, when they would come to the reservation because the animal was hungry. And when the animal was in danger, it would, it would dematerialize itself at will so no one could see it. <laughs> which I found interesting. That's and fascinating. About another story, George, about uh, a Sokomish elder who lived uh, near the Sokoma National Reserve, and he was catching salmon. He would put the salmon into his smoker to cook it. And on many occasions, Bigfoot would be seen taking the salmon out of his smoker. <laughs> so what he did was he modified the smoker, making it taller in height, and he put a door on the smoker, a glass, plexiglass door, so Bigfoot wouldn't take the salmon out until it had been done cooking. <laughs> I love it. That's a great story. So these are just some of the stories. I mean, he also told me about his people and about the boarding schools that they were sent to, you know. And uh, he said they were punished if they spoke their own language. He said and they, they put a, a bunch of different Bibles on the table, and they said, you need to pick a religion. We don't care which one you pick. But you have to choose one. You have one. to pick one, yeah. So he said, he started laughing. He says, you know, Stephanie goes, we tried them all. They didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so him and I became friends, and I would visit him on the reservation a couple times. And I would go past the administrator's office on the reservations and, uh, and find, found out that they were descendants of those who came over on the Mayflower. Jeez. So all these reservations have uh, remnants of the original uh, you know, colonists who came here, and their jobs are to uh, to be the watchers of these Native Americans. I also made ob- observations that near every federal penitentiary, it was next to a reservation. So, uh, you know, you know, you, you you go around. It's like wow, it's like having a Burger King and a McDonald's uh, right next door to one another. And uh, also, one of the other things that I was very mindful of looking at street names and signs. A lot of the streets were named after these administrators who, uh, you know, took care of the Native Americans on these reservations. So, you know, there are over 300 reservations still in America right now, and uh, it's sad because the karma of this country, you know, is, is probably the way it is because they've never got restitution. I mean, there's a book that, for those listening out there who want to know more about this, it's called Red Earth, White Lies, Native Americans by Vin Deloria, Jr., and he talks about the plight of Native Americans. But one of the things I learned in that book, which was very helpful, was that there is a Dr. Stanley Lee, who was an archaeologist, and he, he made a very important discovery in 1951 in Shenandoah, Ontario, Canada. And what that was, he found four tribes of Native Americans and a bearded white man that were, the, the, the artifacts he found were dated about 45,000 years ago. They're predated the Bering State Strait Theory. So what happened was when he went public with that, he lost his tenure, he lost his funding, and he was discredited. 
And uh, that story kind of like had to go away. But the Salish were one of those groups that came down the Pacific Northwest, and that's where they migrated to after the uh, the Ice Age, which was like about 45,000 years ago, which kind of makes sense when you realize that if the Bering Strait story is disinformation, then this Stanley Lee, you know, has the smoking gun as far as the origin of the Native Americans. Now, with these Native Americans, are any of them underground? Uh, I would say not now. They were, but they all came out. Remember the the Hopi talked about ant people? Right, yeah. The, there, there were four groups. You had the Hopi, you had the Pueblo, you had the Zuni, and you had the... the uh, Apache, they were the four that claimed that during these uh, deluges or these great floods that the, the either the snake people or the ant people befriended them and took them into the hollows of the earth. Could you find the hollow earth now if you, if you went looking? Oh, absolutely. You could go right in there. Yeah, but I wouldn't go with myself. I'd need a group of people because I... I, I have shadows wherever I go, George, and, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the reasons why. You may not come out. Well, I've had attempts on my life. I've had people try to get me in places where uh, they wanted to get me alone. And uh, Not by the inner people. No, no, no. This is by the, uh, I'll call them the, the New World Watchers. Yeah. And they are uh, a group that wants to keep everything ex- status quo and keep everybody dumbed down. And people like myself... Uh, you know, I have a warning label. You know, researchers, uh, researching can be hazardous to your health. So for that reason, I don't go out anymore to go researching things. The last time I spoke with you, I went out back to California to research the legend of J.C. Brown to research two of the caves that I had found. And interesting thing is we're, we're doing the movie to get the movie out. But in one of the uh, one of the days on filming, we're sitting at the Dunsmere, a diner in Dunsmere, and two of the guys in the film crew said to me, Stefan, do you realize there's a van outside? I go, really? Okay. It says uh, Shasta carpet cleaning. I says, okay, well, what's what's odd about that? They says, well, it's got a satellite dish on the top of the roof of it. <laughs> so I Oops. Says, okay. They I made said, a little well, mistake there, didn't they? Yeah, so I started to laugh. I says, well, you know what? I says, we're not the only one filming a movie here today. So I went and asked one of the guys to do me a favor, call up information or get a yellow pages and see if there's actually a Shasta carpet cleaning that exists. Yeah. Well, there wasn't. Didn't think so. Yeah. So, I mean, these are the kind of shenanigans that are played. And uh, so, I mean, I've I've had instances where I was doing a TV show at the college, the local college of the Siskiyous, talking about, you know, the hollow earth, stories about it. Mm-hmm. And when I, did my, when I finished my season up in 2009 there, I was up in uh, Ashland, Oregon. I get a phone call from uh, a friend of mine who produced one of my shows. He said, uh, we just got a visit from the U.S. Forest Service and the FBI. They wanted to know if you dug any holes up on the mountain. I says, I don't dig any holes. He says, well, somebody dug a big hole on Mount Shasta, and they want to pin it on you. So I started laughing. I says, well, nobody's called me. He says, well, you're famous. I says, why? He says, they bought every episode of your show for that season. <laughs> <laughs> So they were looking for something, you know, to see if I had been the one to have done that. You know, so luckily for me, you know, I uh, I didn't do that. And I don't know if they ever got who did it. But uh, these are some of the things that, you know, uh, can happen when people are looking for things and uh, searching for things. 
Now, one of the other things I can tell you is with the Native Americans, uh, I went to a drumming for peace rally thereafter in Tacoma, and there were members of the tribes there. When they saw me, they said, let me see your hands. And I showed them my hands, and they said, do you know that St. Germain and Jesus is standing behind you in two consecutive days? And now I'm blown away again because I don't know these fellas either. And here they are telling me that there is a uh, you know a divine presence with me on Worth, the west yeah. coast so, out of the out of the blue they just out of bring blue. it up. and then they invited me to a sweat lodge and uh, it was a sweat lodge in, uh, at the Pialup uh, reservation so I went and I'll call it a vision quest and in the third round in the sweat lodge in the session you know you know everybody was talking about their prayers their wishes and what they wanted for the world and this or that you know they're praying for all different things and. And afterwards, you know, it's getting so blazing hot in there, George, you know, that we all go into this euphoric type of a, a trance. It's pretty dangerous in those places. Yes, it is, yes. You have to be in good condition, and yet you have to hydrate very well. I had a couple of bottles of Gatorade, uh, you know, before going yeah. in, so I was able to get enough, uh, you know, electrolytes in me. But on the third or fourth round is when it gets tough because now all of a sudden you, need, you better be in good shape. So on the third or fourth round, I started to go into this place, I'll call it. It was, um, I guess, people who take ayahuasca or LSD would say they were in that hallucinogenic state. And what I got to see when I got to that place, I'm looking out in front of me, and there is an alien gray just staring at me. So now I'm looking at the ant person, because that's what he was. You know, I would say, you know, you know, the way the Native Americans would describe him. And I'm looking at him, and he's trying to read me. And I said, not today, pal. And I just went back into myself, and I excused myself from that round of sweat. You know, and they probably, you know, thought I was, you know, a cream puff or whatever. But I didn't tell anybody that day what had just happened. Are you sure you weren't hallucinating? No, not at all, because I didn't. I don't drink. I don't take drugs. But I, I mean, just, just being in that kind of environment. Right. Yeah. And they were all talking about things I and mean, different things like Bigfoot and. And other things that I realized, wow, these things do exist because here they are in prayer and ceremony talking about them. And uh, so I realized that, you know, what had just happened to me was was a reality check as to, you know, these alien graves who people talk about graves. I mean, when I was in uh, Mount Shasta, when I had met, I'll, I'll just say, use the first name, Diane, and uh, she cried to me and, and hugged me when she met me. She says, I have to tell you. I says, what is it? She says, I've been abducted many times, and I'm looking at her like, Really? So I gave her a big hug, and all of a sudden she shows me all the marks in her body, and she's very arthritic with very bad arthritis and have a difficulty walking. She had a special uh, 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 bed that she would lay in to alleviate the pain, but she said uh, throughout her whole life this was going on. And I'm looking at her like, hmm, I've just recently saw a, you know, a, a gray in, in a vision. Now all of a sudden I'm being reminded that, hey, there are people that are getting abducted, so I realize, you know, these things that people talk about, you know, are really happening, you know. And when you start to go around the country, like I was going around the country, I start to learn these things. And then, like a, a little further down, I went down to the East Seti Ranch, and James Gillen has a ranch in Trout Lake, Washington. Yeah, he does. And the first evening I'm on the ranch, it started to rain that night, so we really couldn't get out to see the UFOs that they claimed, you know, were on the property. So I went back to my tent, and about two o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden, I saw this large, ominous figure hovering over my tent that was eight and a half to nine feet tall. So I opened up the zipper, and there's a set of eyes looking at me, human eyes. So, like, I almost freaked out. So I went and <clears throat> opened up the zipper with my flashlight to come out. 
try to find it, but it, it, it had dematerialized. My, my friend who was in the next tent hmm. said it went out into the, into the field and just stood there for about 15 minutes, and she was staring at it, petrified. She said she couldn't move. So that morning, that following morning, I talked to people on the ranch because the dogs were barking that night, and there was a lot of commotion. And a number of people said they saw them. There was more than one. And then when I talked to James, he said, yeah, they, they come out from underneath Mount Adams because his property is like eight miles away, straight in front of the mountain where his property is, and they're known to come on his property. So that there was another wake-up call. And then the following night, we're on, in his uh, circle, I'll call it, and it's about 30 people in the circle, and we're looking up. And I'll call it uh, extraterrestrial uh, skyway. There was two dozen crafts going back and forth as though it was I-5 and the Saturday night. And I'm going, like, this is amazing. And all we saw was crafts going by across the, the complete sky from, from east to west or north to south. And they were moving at rapid speed and very, very high up. I mean, where you couldn't even take their photos. But it was though there was a portal right above his ranch. So when I got to see that, I knew they weren't ours. They, you know, it wasn't our military, and it had to be, you know, uh, an extraterrestrial presence that I was I was seeing. And even when I was Remarkable. up in uh, Ashland, Oregon, on, on a, a horse ranch, there were many occasions where I would see a craft, you know, in the night sky. And I would say, oh my God, I don't see this when I'm on the East Coast, but if I go to the West Coast, there they are. They're everywhere. Yeah, you know, it's it's the mountain ranges. The mountain ranges from uh, Mount Rainier all the way down uh, to Shasta and, and the other mountains as well is where it's the hot spots for, for UFO activity. Do you believe the hollow earth is all over the planet, not just restricted to, let's say, the Mount Shasta area? Oh, absolutely. I can give you instances for it right now. I mean, uh, uh, for example, we'll use uh, Tibet for example, and China. Uh, uh, China uh, wanted Tibet for a reason. In in Lhasa Palace, there's an entrance that goes down into the the Hollow Earth from there in the palace, where uh, the uh, the Dalai Lama would meet with the King of the World, uh, and uh, so the Chinese wanted to put their own uh, Dalai Lama in there, so that way they could get. Ac- access to this entrance into the inner world. Exactly. Stay with us, Stefan. We're going to talk more about this and take phone calls next on Coast to Coast AM. Welcome back. Stefan Sindoni with us. And of course, Stefan, when you were getting involved with this in the first place, and then you realize, you know what? I could be the reincarnated J.C. Brown. Were you in shock? Yes, I was, because when I got the photo, and at first I was in denial, and everybody who I showed the photo says to me, uh, do you realize that's you? And I was like, <laughs> I said, no, he looks more like my grandfather. And they go, no, that's you. And then when I was in the studio uh, uh, making um, a comedy CD, I was talking to my uh, my editor, and he said to me, he's a Bible Belt Christian. I told him about it. He said, well, you know what? He said, show me the photo I did. And he uh, restored it, colorized it, and he said, let's put you up on the wall in the same angle, and I'll morph you in to the photo. I said, okay, for the joke of it, we did it. And, George, i got to tell you, it lined up completely. I mean, you know, it was just amazing that I just went right into him, and I was like, I get it. I- 